This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is drowning, not waving. That's right, it's earning season and we are drinking through an absolute fire hose. I'm Scott Phillips and with me, as always, is Dr. Anirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. Good day, Captain. How are you going with earnings season, mate? I'm drowning. (laughs) Not waving. We'll make it, I promise. All right. uh, On the podcast this week, we are going to talk a little bit about the big macro, some interesting data, and a very, very big call by the good boffins at Westpac on interest rates. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Afterpay's sudden and dramatic fall that happened to coincide with the release of a draft Senate report. A bit of uh, bit of intrigue there, according to the SMH this morning. Plus, we will talk about earnings palooza. We've got a heap of companies on a couple of different themes, which we'll touch on. And if we get time, we'll dip into the full mailbag. If they, if our members, our listeners are very lucky, Doc, they may also get a rant from me. Oh. I've got a rant at the back of my head that if it comes out, it's going to come out. And All right, we may have to. Need, uh, uh, you didn't tell me about it. We so. may have to have an extra extra bit of podcast for that one. It could okay. go for a while, just quietly. Okay. All right, <laughs> mate. Let's get into it. So, this week we had a couple of interesting data points that seem at least on the surface to point in, it's fair to say, different directions. We had unemployment numbers came out and they were frankly good. Unemployment remains low. The employment market remains pretty good. 5%. That's good, right? Unchanged. Got to be happy with that. Yeah. And yet, Westpac's Bill Evans came out during the week and said that they're predicting two RBA rate cuts down to 1%. Was it this year or next year? Oh, I think this year or next year, something like that. So, in that. any case, yeah. that's a pretty bearish symbol on the <laughs> uh, signal on the economy. How do you square that particular circle? How is it possible that growth remains okay? Frankly, earnings season has been pretty good on average, I think, thus far, at least in terms of the the profitability of our companies. Maybe the share prices were up and down and that sort of stuff, but the underlying economics seem pretty good. Unemployment's low, inflation's under control, growth is decent, if not fantastic. Why is Westpac so bearish? Oh, I just have to, I guess, you know, if there's one thing that might be driving their call, it must be the the fall in house prices, right? So, I mean, maybe they're thinking mm. ahead and saying that, well, maybe wealth effect hasn't yet kicked in. Maybe it will kick in. Maybe the house prices continue to fall. Right. At some point, people will stop spending one way to, or reduce their spending, I shouldn't say stop. Right. Um, and one way to sort of, you know, give that a kick is to cut the rate. Uh, yeah. So, for our listeners who don't, Maybe no. Tell me about the wealth effect. What exactly is the wealth effect and why does it matter? Okay. So let's say, you know, your house is worth a million dollars, right? And you have a mortgage against it, but you've got, uh, you know, you're paying your your mortgage and you're happy with it. Yes. Um, But you know, your house next year is now worth 1.2 million. Hi, hi. I'm rich. You feel rich, although you don't have that. Uh, extra 200k in your pocket. Ah, so use, that's the wealth effect. It's the wealth effect, right? Okay. I mean, you don't have it in your pocket. I mean, you could, in theory, have it in your pocket if you could sell it right. at that price. But and I feel then, more prosperous. I feel more confident. I feel happier because I feel like, hey, I'm worth more money. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And people spend more and are happy to, you know, buy the shoes and uh, stuff. Basically, just stuff. Okay. And yet. <laughs> and and yet, uh, I mean, it's all virtual money, right? I mean, yes. it's not all cash. <laughs> and and it, indeed, it's, indeed. it's um, yeah, it's all in the mind. So uh, I think when the house now goes from 1.2 to 1 to maybe 900. Oh, so it's still the wealth effect. It's just it's, a different direction. It's just in a different direction. You know, you're still paying your mortgage and right. it's fine. You're still making your same wages, but you just feel like, oh, you know, I'm a little poorer now. And if you're a little poorer, you maybe don't spend quite as much and it wouldn't take too much for that to turn to an economic contraction. Yeah. I and, mean, you know, the money flows around, right? You know, you spend on something that goes to someone, they, you know, give it to somebody else and so on and so forth. So if right, somebody's right. giving less money, then, you know, less money is going around. So I think that's that's the effect. And I mean, in the, there, it's maybe there's some sense in that call. Mm. Um, again, it all depends on 
so far, it seems like we haven't seen any contraction in spending, mm. right? So, I that's, don't know. That's the interesting thing, right? The wealth effect is supposed to take effect. It's supposed to have already happened. Depending on who you, what I thought was interesting, and we'll talk about a little bit about earnings, but just at a very top line level, I thought retail was interesting the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So on one level, we had Stockman, the property company, come out and say, look, you know, stuff is, things are hard because retail is soft. Yeah. And we had Woolworths come out and say, well, we've got price deflation and sales aren't great. And so on that, that's on one hand. The other hand, you've got JB Hi-Fi with some pretty decent results. Mm-hmm. And Centre Group, the, the landlord of Westfield in Australia and New Zealand, actually coming out and saying, well, actually, we're doing pretty well. We've got mm-hmm. the right mix of tenants. It, it, so it's, it depends. Depending on your point of view, you can find something to reassure you or to, to, to find confirmation bias, if you like, from the data. It does seem pretty mixed right now. It seems like some retailers are doing well. Others are doing it tough. I, I, I'm an optimist, right? So I probably want things to be better than maybe other people might, or maybe even that they are. But it does strike me that it's less a systemic issue, at least at the moment, and more a selective issue by category, by retailer, by segment. Which kind of, I feel to me like we're changing how and where we're spending our money. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right, right. So, I mean, maybe you're spending less at Woolies, but maybe that money is going to Kogan, or maybe that money is going to Amazon, right? Right, right, right. So, you know, the money might have gone somewhere else. Or if else. it's JB Hi-Fi or… Or JB you know, Wi-Fi right, and right. Hi-Fi. And I mean, no. I mean, and the thing with JB Hi-Fi, though, is that, you know, it's, an, it's basically an electronic shop, a lot of Xboxes to be bought and sold during right, right. Christmas time. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, there's a timing effect there. Mm-hmm. I like that slip of the tongue, JB Wi-Fi. I think that should be their new name. In the 21st century, if you don't Hi-Fi, that's hi-fi, kind of been now, gone, now, right? now become Wi-Fi. No one's I, buying Hi-Fi. That's but, JB Wi-Fi. But, but if they do it, they heard it here first. You can copyright that. Yeah, I can copyright it. There you go. Well, they, you heard it here first. If JB Hi-Fi changes its name, yeah. they, they got to the pay us. Exactly. Yeah. A, a decent royalty, I reckon. What, yeah. a couple of cent of sales? I'll take more. <laughs> <laughs> thought you might. All right, mate. Let's move on. A little bit of an interesting story in the paper this morning. So we will get on to earnings in a minute. But after pay shares fell sharply the other day, um, and no one was really sure why. At the time, we thought, well, maybe Wisetech's earnings were out. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And they were a bit disappointing. And so Afterpay almost by um, guilt by association got mm. dragged down. That was kind of the original the original concern. Not waxing anymore. Well, there you go. We'll talk about wax stocks in a minute. <laughs> okay. Not the not the candle type and certainly mm. not the uh, personal care type. Mm. Uh, the uh, So we, mm. we thought it might have been about WiseTech, although in the SMH today they talked about the fact that around the time the price fell – there was a draft report, draft Senate report released to senators and their staff looking into this buy now, pay later category, mm. which may, according to the um, assumption and the inference, have been a little bit negative on these these companies and may well have resulted in the shares falling, which would be, well, the story in the SMH says that people, individual senators and or their staff could be, could be found in contempt of the Senate mm. for using otherwise market-sensitive information that was confidential and not to be acted on or released. Mm. And it's possible, and we, we want to be very clear, we're not making any allegations here, nor is the SMH, but it's possible that someone may have done the wrong thing and actually acted on that information that wasn't supposed to be acted on. Mm. Uh, again, this is all speculation, right? Correct. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, everything and anything is possible. But I mean, the, the, the one thing I'll point out is that this is a very volatile stock. Like, yes. I mean, it goes up a lot, <laughs> it, it comes down that. a lot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it doesn't really have earnings. It's got a lot of revenue growth. Um, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of momentum traders, people who trade ba- basically because it went up or down, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, maybe there's some algorithmic trading going on. So it's hard really to pin what's actually driving it but it could be the report or it could be the speculation that the report is going to come out some people mm. think that you know something's going to happen they must have traded a bunch of other people followed it was a very coincidental timing though of the report and the SMH is to be believed 
Well, you know, if you want to, I mean, okay, I could speculate and say if you if 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 somebody tipped you that the uh-huh. report is out without even telling you what yes. the report is, yes. you could, I mean, as a as a like an algorithmic trader, you yes. could just you know you could just sell. Nah, right? but it that, might be wrong, right? The report might be actually positive towards after paying the shares might go higher. So oh, it's only if you believe the reports. Are well, you, have you know, explain. some people sell, and that causes other people to sell. That gives mm. some other people an opportunity to buy. You know, who knows? Right? I mean, anything is possible. You're an optimistic man. You're normally more cynical than this, Doc. I, don't I am being cynical. It's like, you know, a bunch of people <laughs> doing stuff that has got nothing to do with the long-term opportunities of the company. That would certainly describe most of the market most <laughs> of the time. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, let's, let's get on to the big news. The earnings palooza, as we call it, rolls on. We stole that, that uh, name from our US colleagues. So we, we you know, went in doubt steal. Mm. And so we did. Um, so credit to Chris Hill and the guys in the US podcast who call it earnings palooza. And we're growing that name and, and running with it. Mate, a couple of categories of results this mm. week. So we kind of grump, grouped them together because, frankly, no one wants to hear us roll through line by line, numbers by numbers. Mm. This is a podcast, not a uh, not a financial newspaper. So we'll try and keep it a little bit light, but also draw out the main points of what happened. The first I want to talk about is the broad travel industry. So mm. this week we had Webjet, Flight Center, Corporate Travel, and Qantas mm. all reporting. And that's a nice kind of, you know, combination. Let's us compare and contrast a little bit, pull out some key themes, maybe, uh, you know, compare and contrast mm. the, the, the winners and the losers. The biggest winner was clearly Webjet. Mm. Shares up 30% on, I want to say Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, when they put out their results, that's an astonishing result from Webjet. Mm. The... Uh, the, the B2B business seems to have been the key growth. So when we think about Webjet, we think about the brand, mm. and that's the Australian kind of travel retail travel business. But Webjet's now half, not Webjet, <laughs> if I put it that way, it's now half something else. And that something else is the business-to-business kind of provision of that hotel kind of inventory comparison. So think about a, a what-if or a, or a lastminute.com type solution for a whole lot of overseas hotels. Webjet now said they're number two player globally with about 4% market share, so they believe they've got lots of room to run. What did you make of the Webjet result? Oh, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, it, it was really good, and, and I think it's growing a um, a segment where I think there's a lot of more opportunity. So I, I thought that part was good, and I think it, it's also the business-to-business mm. business can be less sensitive to um, you know consumer spending and so on. So, I mean, you know, there's, right. there's a, typically a steady rise in business-to-business spend. So uh, I thought the results were really good. I really liked them. Now... Let's go from the sublime to the less sublime. Flight so, I had a headline for this. You didn't even You know, it's like Webjet flies, ah, flight yeah. center crashes, right. and Qantas, I don't know, delayed. <laughs> I like that. I didn't see that. I'm sorry. I missed that. Oh, that's okay. There you go. You get to use yeah. it now. Yeah. Uh, we, we'll, uh, we'll re-record the beginning of the podcast. We won't really. Oh, we, right. we don't do that. Yeah. Um, but, but in theory, we could. And if we did, that's what I would use. So, mate, full credit to you. That's, that's a really nice one. Um, so, speaking of flight center, you said it crashes. I think that might be a little harsh. But I'm, I'm being, you know, I have to use a headline that's you know, clickbaity. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Crash. Destroyed. Destroyed. Slumped, plunges. Gone. Um, the Australian leisure business was tough. So we talk about retail and flight center is kind of part of the retail story. It's not necessarily, you know, grocery retail, but it's Australian consumer spending. The Australian leisure travel business was really the big anchor for flight center. Mm. Total transaction value for them was actually up 10%, but they couldn't get meaningful growth in profit. Yeah, they don't want to make money, What's going enough on? money. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's pressure basically on the margins, right? Yeah. yeah that's what, what it means. And um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, uh, yeah. I don't really have a good, I mean, yeah. sense of, you know, again, it, it depends on, there's a lot of, uh, 
as as an as a facilitator mm-hmm. of the tickets uh, being purchased by people, you're just not making enough. You know, yeah. may, you know, maybe you're taking less margin because that's what you need to make the sales mm-hmm. happen. And um, yeah. I find this a particularly. This is one that's that's really got me. You know, it's, and I, there's a decent question about the business model writ large. It's a recommendation of ours at both Share Advisor and Everlasting Income. For full disclosure, um, Webjet is a is a recommendation of Share Advisor and Hidden Gems, and, and thankfully so. Um, to some degree. I've always felt comforted by the fact they're getting more people. You know, the, the story about flights, you know, the, 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 the bear story is always, oh, the internet's going to kill it. But flights in a year after year after year is getting more people to spend more money with it as that total transaction value. Mm. So they, they're kind of, they, they're, they're more and more relevant as, you know, as the years pass. The big challenge for them, as you say, is whether they can monetize that to a sufficient level. And, and it's hard, right? The, the leisure retail business should be their highest margin business. I think this is, to my mind, that was the biggest challenge is if you've got your arguably highest margin business, suffering, uh, you know, you're not going to make as much money selling corporate tickets, for example, or or organising that sort of event stuff. But the, the high margin, high value business in the travel, leisure travel in Australia is really still its cash cow. And if you if that's not growing, the other businesses are growing. You've almost got the, the, the challenge of you're growing smaller or lower margin business at the expense of higher margin business. And that's a tough way to try and make a buck. I, I mean, is it possible that, you know, they're basically selling the same tickets everybody else and therefore, you know, the, there's only so much margin you can take on it after which you become uncompetitive uh, yeah. with respect to the others, right? That's partly true. Although I think that the dominance is, is, again, you're more relevant to more people. There should be some degree of if not pricing power, at least scale that should come to pass. And you should expect that to come through in margins. Interestingly enough, too, we'll keep moving. Flight Center is going to pay a special dividend, um, which should be good for, for shareholders. Also designed to beat Labor's franking credit changes, which we've talked about before. And I, don't, I do imagine we'll talk about it at least one more time before the election. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's certainly been uh, be, been something that's been a, a feature of this earnings season for a couple of companies. And Flight Center paying out a really nice chunk of change for those shareholders who are going to get some, uh, some nice franking credits before any potential changes go through. Mm. Mates, corporate travel... This is one that the results were pretty good. Sales and profit up about 20%, give or take, among friends. I own shares for full disclosure, as does The Motley Fool. Um, the, this was a pretty strong result, but, but more so because it was to some degree a rebuttal of the short case that was presented last year. To some degree, this was a $30 stock that fell to $19, right dollars something in the, in, the, in the depths of the gloom. Maybe the short sellers are right. Maybe this is terrible. After the fact, sales and profit up around 20% each. Seems to have, to some degree, silenced the doubters, silenced the shorters, and the shares jumped. Was it fifteen percent or so, thirteen percent on the day as a result of of basically confirming or the market believing that the short cases, if not baseless, at least pushed down the kicked kicked the can down the road a little bit further. Um, that the corporate travel was continuing to grow and continuing to generate sales and profits for its shareholders. Yeah, so that was interesting. I mean, you know, there was a high volume trading going on on that day. Um, and I'm not sure if the, the shorts have had their yeah. last. I mean, you know, almost immediately I saw some articles circulating about, uh, you know, their cash flow numbers actually being down. Cash <laughs> never lies. Yep. Uh, and, and therefore, you know, what's going on with the cash flow? How's the, you know, the cash flow uh, significantly down if you're getting revenue growth and so on and so forth? And right. I'm, I'm sure I mean, the CEO would say that, you know, it's just a question of timing of receipts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I mean, maybe we haven't seen the end of of that saga. I mean, there's going to be another another salvo coming. Do you think? Um, I mean, you know, most of these, you know, if 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 a company is shorted by, um, you know, heavy, um, you know, weighted pockets, then mm. it takes a while. And you know, people don't, you know, if people are entrenched in their position, they don't change their position. Then you know, there's there are many ways, especially in a in a company that has um, possibly quite a significant retail shareholder. Um, 
following. Mm. You know, th- those are uh, uh, typically, at least I think, interesting cases for shorting because you know you, you can try to you know scare people off from the stock. So, mm. I, my personal, you know, I thought the results were great, uh, but I, I think you know we haven't seen the end of the of the shorting saga. Is is my take? We'll say. And right, lastly, in the in the travel space, and we'll keep maybe Qantas. The fuel bill was up twenty seven percent. Very very hard to make grow to mm. grow profit when your when your largest single cost jet fuel goes up by a quarter. That's an astonishing growth. I mean, not surprising, right? We know the oil prices have moved around. Mm. Our Qantas hedging contracts have rolled off. So this is not a surprise to the market necessarily. But gee, it's a tough business when you. I mean, to some degree, we look at we look at you know uh, miners as commodity players, right? Where you, you can't control the price of your, mm. your your selling commodity. In this case, Qantas is kind of you know airline seats are a somewhat commodity. But frankly, when your largest cost is purely a combination of a movement in commodity prices plus whatever hedging contracts you put in place. It almost it, it's almost it's almost closer to a steel mill than it is to a to an air, to a, to a commercial business, right? You're, you're you're trying to make steel with a with a rising and falling cost of coal mm. um, or iron ore, sorry, they, well both as they as they go in the process. To some degree, that kind of feels a little bit like Qantas is. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, the, I thought the domestic results were good. Oh, Qantas domestic good. Yeah. were solid. Um, Jetstar was okay, um, and uh, international was not. I mean, this has been the kind of the trend for a while, yeah, right? I mean, yep. international has has not really ever done that well. Well, and I've got to say, I, I, I will never, ever accuse any of the airlines of collusion. One, because that'll get me in trouble, but two, because I don't necessarily believe it's true. Mm. Um, but in this case, the domestic business was good because both airlines realized that adding capacity is not mm. a good idea. And yeah. so if you have a, if you effectively have a, a constraint of supply, guess what? Yeah, well, Prices should go up. <laughs> yeah. They did. And that should lead to more margins. Yeah. It does. Um, to some degree, we, we must be almost due for another a third airline entering the market. We, we're going to have one turn up every every sort of seven or ten years, so we're probably due for Qantas, sorry, Compass Mark up to Mark sixty two or something. Um, the, the new Compass coming to market maybe is overdue. Uh, we've had Ausjet, of course, in the past and others. Um, it's one of those things where, where every every decade or so, someone thinks they should try and break into the market. And fair enough, it's a it's a potentially very lucrative market, except that the existence it's of a hard. third player normally adds capacity that really wrecks it for everybody. The, the, I mean, to, to, to be fair to Qantas, I mean, international, there's so much competition. There's also oh, totally. a, lot of, a lot of state, um, I would say, state-incentivized uh, carriers, mm. right? Yep. So you have to compete against those. Yep. Modly for money. Let me do a really nice segue from flying international flying to international markets and then to companies in international markets like China. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, how smooth yeah, was that? That was very smooth. Tell you what, our listeners are very impressed with me right now. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of companies that had very different results in China. Mm-hmm. So A2 and Blackmore's both reported during the week. A2 Milk, of course, behind the infant formula and, mm. and milk products, uh, largely in Australia, but also now increasingly in China. Blackmore, similarly, vitamins in, in both those markets and others, and A2, of course, is in others as well. A2 reported a really strong growth in China. Mm. Blackmore's had a really ordinary year with basically flat sales and what mm. otherwise should be a growing market. The market responded, share market responded, as you would expect, <laughs> to sending Blackmore's to the woodshed and, and giving A2 a bit of a, a bit of a cheer along. What did you make and, and contrast those two numbers for me, two results for me? Uh, I, I think those, the, yeah, they were like chalk and cheese. Were they? <laughs> Completely chalk like and milk cheese. Milk and vitamins. Um, <laughs> milk, but here's, here's the interesting thing, right? They're, if you think at a very high level, they're both commodities. Yes. Right? So, I mean, milk has been around for ages. Vitamins have been around for ages. Right, good point, yeah. Right? Um, but... I think there's a there's an essential trick that Blackmore's is missing. Okay. So I mean, you know, to me, if I if I if I think the Blackmore's vitamins are the same as the Swiss A vitamins is the same as essentially a Biogen vitamins, they're all branded vitamins, right? right? I, I think A two 
you could say the same thing about milk but i mean a2 has been able to you know become the purveyor of you know hey <laughs> we are only selling you this particular type right, right, of right. milk just the a2 protein just the a2 protein and this is really good for your gut and i mean you know whether or not it Allegedly. is true <laughs> and that's what i'm saying whether or not it's true is exactly. is is different exactly. the fact that you've been able to market and create a brand around hey, that's what that's it, what branding it, is right that's, that's what, what that's branding, all branding is that's all branding is and yep. they've been and so what was really impressive was a2 was the growth in china mm-hmm. so i mean and, and then again you know you have a differentiated product yep. right how whether or not it is really differentiated is not doesn't matter it's a differentiated product and and the growth of a2 milk in mm-hmm. the us mm-hmm. is i think was impressive so and, and there's you know there's a huge upside opportunity there in terms of uh, the infant formula and so on right mm-hmm. so so i think i think this is a company that's really really executing well um you know until something happens with the ato branding i think this is really really solid right, so i right. i thought this was very really, very impressive i think i think that's right look i i've got to say i'm I, i'm to some degree i've always been stumped by ato i've never been quite sure whether it's it's fashion or fad you know it's at some level if the ato protein continues to be the most relevant protein people think there's a brand around it and it works that's great back to your vitamin story i can remember back in the day and this is a long time ago i want to say maybe 30 something years ago garlic was the vitamin of choice. Mm. Everyone was taking garlic tablets cuz they were going out of style. There was odorless garlic and non-odorless garlic and mm. it was it was the vitamin, right? Mm. And now they moved on to fish oil and then it was glucosamine and and so to kind of draw that analogy at some level A2 is only as successful as the brand itself and the protein itself. It's kind of a I don't want to say one trick pony because that that implies negativity. I'm not negative at all. I just I'm just completely um I'm I'm on the uh, on the fence. I'm I'm it's in the too hard pile for me. What do you think about the the possibility or probability that the A2 milk protein itself kind of gets surpassed by something else that's the next big thing in dairy. Oh, that's all that, that's the risk, right? I mean the other risk is competition coming up and selling their own A2 stuff, right? right. I, think, I think there's a, the issue there is the supply of A2 is not enough to okay. so I mean so I think that's the that, that's that, that's the issue there but um yeah, I mean it's like any other branding it it could fade away but I mean you know you, you'd probably get uh, you'd probably see something else rise and and the other advantage is uh, if you're a big company like this you know built mm. a cash buffet you know you've got a cash treasure sitting with you I mean, if there's a small competition that is you know nipping at, at the heels you could actually acquire it so okay. i i feel fairly good about i mean the the way they've gone about and creating the brand awareness you know most of these things last for some time mm. right um yeah so it's a commodity but differentiated commodity which is uh, which i think uh, you know gives them the edge I will say it's a recommendation of one of your services. Blackmore's recommendation of one of mine. So you get the, you get the points this week. Yeah. I too well and truly uh, giving showing Blackmore's a, a clean pair of heels. I'm still I'm still bullish on the long-term success. I think of both businesses at least in the in the sense that brand Australia means a lot to Chinese consumers and I expect it to for literally for decades to come. I think I'm not a big tailwind investor as I probably said before. I don't tend to to be top down, I tend to be bottom up. But I have to say, look at companies like A2 or Blackmore's or Bellamy's or Treasury Wine Estates for example. These are companies that really should have multi-decade growth potential that doesn't mean they'll necessarily all be successful or to the degree we think uh, but gee when you've got chinese consumers clamoring for clean green australian or new zealand depending on the kind on the company um that's a pretty impressive pretty dominant place to start mm-hmm. modly for money mate let's go from there to wax now for listeners who've just joined us we don't talk about it all that frequently the us have their fangs right which is facebook apple netflix or facebook amazon netflix and google occasionally there's an extra a there for apple so it's fang or fang as if you if you choose uh the australian investors decided that we didn't like the fact they had an acronym and we didn't mm. so we have now uh wax and wax again depending on how many a's you want to put in it it's normally a lot so it's wise tech and then it's altium appen 
Afterpay and zero. So there's your wax. Um, and that's kind of our that's our version of the kind of the hot tech stocks of, of 2018, 19, if you like. And they've been the ones that people have paid a whole lot of attention to and have been all over the shop. Um, share price is incredibly volatile over the last year, 18 months or so. We had two of the wax, maybe the, the certainly the W and, and maybe the first A, maybe just one of the A's, mm. in Wise Tech and Altium report during mm. the week. Um I'm not as familiar with Wysik, but certainly more familiar with Altium. Uh, thankfully, both those companies have done very well for us at The Motley Fool across a couple of different services. And we're not just here to bang our own drum, by the way. They're just two companies that the market's talking about, so we're talking about them. Uh, Wysik's result wasn't as good as the market had hoped. No, I actually think Wisetech's result was just as good as the market had hoped. Right. I think Wisetech's guidance was not as good as what the market had hoped. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So, I mean, the results were, I think, bang on in terms of what the guidance was. Right. And, and you know, I think what the market was probably <laughs> expecting is that. So, I mean, I'll, I'll step back. I think Wisetech is a very interesting company, very sticky, you know, it doesn't really. Tell us what it does. Yeah, so it basically is a logistics company. It, it provides logistics software. So, if you are, you know, a FedEx or someone who's shipping packets from one location to the other, Yes. You, you're passing through all these borders, right? You okay. have customs and things like these to deal with. You yep. know, that sort of process to manage on software is what basically these guys do. Okay. Right. So once once somebody has built in this... this so for, for a FedEx or somebody who needs to be able to track parcels across multiple different kind of ports and points... And, and, and just do the paperwork and manage, right, okay. you know, manage the process that you need to, you know, to move, okay. you know, make sure that you're compliant and, and stuff like so that. So you can try and do this all yourself with, with your own paperwork or a patchwork of software solutions, or you can yeah. use WiseTech solution to do exactly. everything for you. And, and the okay. thing is that once you build this in, I mean, it's unlikely that you're going to change it because there's a lot of, you know, headache to actually change it. And right. the converse is also true. If somebody's using a legacy solution, they're not going to really change it unless they're you know, up for you know, renewal or right, know, yeah. they, need, they need to upgrade the business. So it's a very sticky business, really growing strongly, founder-led and, and, and all, all those good things. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, the issue here was that this is a company that is expensive if you think about you know, traditional valuation metrics like a PE or so PE is price to earnings or right. you know, uh, price to operating earnings or you want to do enterprise value to sales or whatever you want to do. Okay. On, on most of these metrics, it'll look expensive. Okay. So, so therefore, to justify, the one way to justify that Expense, <laughs> high expense is to have high growth, and I think right. the the second half guidance was weak on on uh, on the you know it's still you know, okay. getting pretty solid growth, but it's just not enough according to the market. The market you know uh, you know wax it a bit and uh, yeah. is that a pun there? Wax, it, wax, wax, wax stocks, yeah, wax it, get it, yeah, do, yeah, no? a little bit. Okay, I'm trying. I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. I'm not as good. Mate, as you. Let, let me let me do the bad puns around here. You've you got to you've got to maintain some credibility, mate. Yeah. Mine's already shot. So let let, so, me, let me do the puns, and you can you can do the sensible yeah, investment yeah. analysis. Um, and then Altium, of course, yes. was out. And Altium, uh, the shares were up again dramatically, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit like Webjet. Mm. Um, fifty, I want to say fifty-seven percent growth in profit. This is a business that. Um, it, for a long time, has been growing at a really strong rate of knots, and people are wondering, kind of, when does it stop? Mm. Um, thus far, the answer is not yet. Mm. And, and frankly, both the the, the results and in this case, the guidance really did help Altium and the shares jumped higher. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, what we like to see, or you know, what one of the things that we look for in businesses is whether or not they have operating leverage, which basically means that you grow revenue at a certain rate yep. and you want to grow your expenses at a lower rate, which means you get more money falling into the bottom line. Right. So, if you can grow sales at ten percent but keep your expenses growth to a couple of percent. Yeah. It's not just eight percent growth in profit; it can be much, 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 more much, that. much more. So right. I think that's what that's the story of Altium. Okay. Um, and the, I mean, you know, uh, it's an impressive, impressive business, and they, they, 
they also don't do guidance, but they do provide like you know it's it's a, it's a it's another way of providing guidance. They provide, <laughs> <laughs> they provide long term guidance, non guidance uh, guidance, uh, okay, non guidance guidance. So whether you know basically said well by twenty twenty five we want to hit five hundred million US in um, in revenue. And tell us what it is roughly now. Um, I actually it's proportion is it a third of that, half of that? Uh, probably close to half. Okay. Um, well, it's yeah. It 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 plans to reach two hundred million US in okay. twenty twenty. So it's it's pretty wow. Close, okay. Yeah. And then another three hundred million on top of that in the next five years after that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and of course, so we're gonna they're gonna double or triple sales maybe if we kind of roughly yeah. work that out between now and then. You'd hope that that turns into maybe a five or ten times growth in profit, right? If yeah, you, exactly. You so, I mean, uh, I mean, a couple of things. You know, one of the things is that there's a lot of operating leverage showing up. You know, the question really is that are they spending enough to actually get? You know, you have to spend to get the growth, right? You have to build the right product right. to get the growth. So, are you spend? Are you spending enough to actually get there? I mean, that's one question. The, there was a, the uh, you know, I was on the call and there was an interesting comment made by the CEO, which actually I thought was very impressive. He said that mm-hmm. to to, to get to one stage, you need to do certain things. And then to get to the other stage, the next stage, you really need to hire the top talent. And I said, that's, okay. that's been a challenge for them. And that makes sense, right? If you're a small company, then hiring top talent is hard. When you, Why would you want to come and work for a company that, you know, most people in, in the Valley, for example, might not. So they're a Silicon Valley-based company. So, okay. you know, so one of the things he said is that, you know, this is his, uh, his um, work right now. He's focusing on hiring the best people so that we can take the company to the next one. And so, so I liked it because it's A, realization that what the challenges are, mm-hmm. and B, acknowledging it, and I guess C, saying that this is what I'm doing about it. So I think that was okay. very impressive. So, you know, I, I took that as a, as a, as a solid, uh, solid thing. And right. I, I think the company has the potential to get there. Interesting. So let me let me kind of take that then to the broader earnings season. We're we're now on one week away today mm. from the end of earnings season, or actually yesterday day of earnings season. Um, how are you seeing earnings season thus far? If you had to give it a, a mark, is it an A plus? Is it an E minus? Is it an F? Um, somewhere around the C's. If you think about, it, I know we don't cover the whole market necessarily, but just based on kind of what you've observed, how, what's the health of corporate Australia? You, you know, so the funny thing is that all the earnings have been in the ballpark of what I would have thought mm-hmm. they are going to be. But I'll caveat that by noting that a lot of bad news came out. Right. So just pre-earnings where people pre-announced, you know, we're not meeting our guidance or, you know, our earnings are not that great and mm-hmm. things like that. So um, overall, though, I would say it's pretty good. I would not give it an A, but I'll actually give it a solid B. Mm. Um, there are some companies which are struggling for, which might be, you know, a company-specific issue, but it doesn't look like an economy-specific issue. Right. Um, yeah, so I, I would give it a solid B. I mean, you nice. know, again, and in some cases, the companies have fallen back because maybe they were overpriced and so on and so forth, but the company's yeah. results were good. So that's the thing, I, and, you know, you mentioned earlier, I want to remind our listeners that when we talk about earnings season, we're really in large part talking about expectation season. And yeah. yes, the earnings are the basis for that, so I'm, I'm splitting hairs a little bit, but A, it's the earnings they delivered versus what the market expected for the past. So growth of 25% might be disappointing if you're expecting 40. Mm. Growth of or decline of minus 10% might be great if you're expecting minus 20. And so yeah. it's versus the expectations. And then as you mentioned with WiseTech, it's also in the future expectations the company mm. itself sets. And so mm. if you think about that, I, I would say, you know, earnings season kind of equals, you know, um, results versus expectations plus or minus the company's own expectations for the future. And the market tends to combine that and works out, therefore, where the share price goes next. So just because the company's up, you know, profits up 20%, great for the health of the company, great kind of reflection on the health of the economy, potentially, although that, there's a there's a tenure link there but doesn't always mean the share price is going to move in the same direction yeah, and i agree i, I mean my, my com- when i said b what i meant is that the companies are actually doing well yeah right uh and if they're a reflection of the broader economy then the economy is actually doing well right and you know the share price for many companies actually does not matter right mm-hmm. if a company doesn't actually have to raise money 
could care less about the share price. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. that, and so, it shouldn't, so right? Like, it, it shouldn't I, matter. I'm actually always happy when a company doesn't want to give guidance and doesn't want to talk about its yeah. share price. It's like I've, I've ranted before about guidance. Yeah. I think guidance is the most ridiculous. People give guidance because they're asked, not because they think yeah. they know. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I think, yeah. So overall, I thought it was pretty good, pretty solid. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, we're going to finish off with a couple of questions from the Motley Fool mailbag. Thank you for the questions and comments you are sending in. We read them all. We can't respond to almost all of them, but we get to as many as we can. Um, as always, you can email us at info, I-N-F-O, at fool.com.au or hit us up on Twitter. That's our preferred way to get to you because we can interact and engage. It's at the Motley Fool AU, as in for Australia, the Motley Fool AU, or at TMF Scott P, that's me, or at Anirban Mahanti, A-N-I-R-B-A-N. M-A-H-A-N-T-I. Now, Doc, the first question comes from Chris. Hi, Scott and Doc. Still loving the podcast. Good man. He starts really strongly. Mm-hmm. And then he really falls in a massive, massive I hole. Thought he, right? I, I thought he went one up. No, He no, went no, one no. level falls, up. Falls in a horrible hole. He says, as an Apple shareholder, <coughs> excuse me, just something in my throat. As an Apple shareholder, I especially enjoy hearing Doc bang on about how great Apple is. Oh, dear. Sorry. Well, Chris, you are very, very lucky I'm even reading this out, mate. As, as the controller of these things, I, I did think about giving it a pass, but um, you started, started well, so we'll go with that. My question is about what percentage of my portfolio is allocated to each share? I've heard many times on the podcast the advice to get to 15 or 20 or more shares, sorry, 15 to 20 or more shares ASAP. Also, at times, you have made reference to Berkshire being your largest holding, that's me personally, indicating an equal allocation of funds to each share. Do we allocate the same percentage to each share to gain diversity, or is there some other method based on age, risk appetite, time frame, or perhaps the type of share owned? Keep up the informative but enjoyable service you provide. And this is P.S. I'm going to give myself a wrap, mate, because I can. Really enjoy your email about the Kokoda trial, best newsletter all year, and not a mention of finance. I, I was almost impressed by that, and I thought, hang on, he doesn't like yeah. when I mention finance. I, is, is Chris, are you, are you telling us not to, not to talk about so finance he, anymore? He likes you being the wanderer. <laughs> Maybe he just likes it when this, I'm gone. This is, this, is like, this is like a backhand, you know. It's not really, That's what I'm fearing. Yeah. If you are listening, you do want to hear about that. Uh, Google Scott Phillips and Kokoda. There's, there's an article about my, my walk across the trial, uh, which not, not well, partly because I want you to read what I wrote, but also partly because it's an interesting tale, and I, uh, I almost died, put it that way. Yeah. Uh, all right, mate. So let's get back to the topic at hand, though. Um so fifteen to twenty shares tick. Yeah, but I mean, you know, allocation wise, how so much you could have you more than allocate? fifteen to twenty if you yes, want. Yes, but sorry, Chris says get to yeah. fifteen to twenty as quickly yeah. as possible, which yes. is roughly our mm-hmm. general view. Yeah. How should he allocate equal amount for each share or something different? Well, I think what I would say is that you know consider the risk and the reward opportunity, and then essentially tailor based on that. Right. Okay. So I mean, if if all the companies were alike in terms of opportunities, then equal mm-hmm. is fine. Right. Um, if not, then you know uh, you have to really consider many things, like you know what makes you sleep well at night and so on. So I mean, you could have um, you know a larger allocation to something if you if you think you can manage the volatility that comes with that particular allocation. So I think that mm-hmm. that's that would be my answer. Okay. In terms of risk and reward, tell me a bit more about that. Right. So, so like some companies, for example, might have a 10x possibility. So they could go up 10, bag, 10 go, times in price. They could go 10 up. Uh, 10 bag. Well, uh, just buy go, those. That's uh, easy. Exactly. Right. That's very easy to buy those. But, just the, do pro- that. but the problem is that the probability or yes. the chance is going to go 10x yes. is also low. Right. So that, a big ha- potential upside, yeah. but a low probability of actually reaching that upside. Yeah. So let's say there's a you know a thirty percent chance or forty percent chance of that happening. Okay. There is a let's say an in equal in the reverse side, let's say forty percent chance of going ten X. Yep. Just to make it simple. Yes. And a sixty percent chance that goes to zero. <laughs> 
Okay. So so <laughs> roughly roughly three out of five of those stocks will go to zero. Yeah. But two might 10x. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So if, if that's the case, then, you know, do you really want to allocate 10% of your portfolio, 5% of your portfolio, or six? <laughs> if it's 15, let's say six and a bit, right? right. You want to allocate 6% of your portfolio to that. I mean, 15 might actually, 15 stocks of those types yep. might not be enough to actually get you the full diversification that you would need with that type of strategy. So right. your strategy really matters. Like if you, if you have got, you know, um, like you, yeah. So I mean, you you know, if it's like an Apple, I'd give it a higher allocation because you know it's the it's, it's not going to vanish. High quality it's brand name, high well quality known. brand name. It may well, not yeah. shoot the lights out, but it's not going to die anytime. Exactly. Soon. So so that that's a, that's our thing. But you know, if it's something else that's um, no more risky, mm-hmm. um, I'd, I'd I'd start small. And the re- and I, I say this many times. You know, the thing is that if if a company is going to 10x, you want to you know you, you can start small, and if it 10x is that's still a lot. Right. Right. right? If it goes to zero, you would be happy that you had small. And you start with two percent position all of a sudden 10x is 20% of your portfolio that's a meaningful chunk right? Ma- meaningful chunk but here's the other thing right it, 10x don't happen overnight right so you've got a small position mm-hmm. even 1% or 2% and then over time you follow it and it goes to 2x always be it's 3x even if it's 4x right, and at right, that right. point you still think it's, it's a great company at that point we'll buy more okay so and then I'll, I'll, I'll cover the Berkshire question just quickly from my perspective uh, so Berkshire Hathaway the company run by Warren Buffett hopefully that name is familiar to most of our listeners if not all the world's best I would say ever investor. I think that's relatively unquestioned. There are probably some better businessmen out there, maybe some of the Rockefellers or others of the past, but Buffett, probably the best self-made investor. I think you'd agree, Doc. Mm-hmm. So I am, but the two things about Berkshire, the first is I, I bought my Berkshire a very long time ago. Uh, and so to some degree, where you end up is not necessarily where you start. So to Chris's question about if I was buying shares, I might actually buy in different proportions. But even to your point, Doc, about 10Xs, when you have a couple of those 10Xs win, they're going to be 20 or 30% of your portfolio. And so at some level, the fact, the fact they end up being big doesn't mean they necessarily started there. Mm. But I'd also echo your point that, yeah, look, I, Berkshire for me, with and possibly Solpats here in Australia if you're looking for one, I own both for full disclosure. I think the Motley Fool owns both, I want to say, too, um, at least corporately. Um, the... The reality is those are, those are the, about the best sleep at night stocks you'll find because, you know, you've got capable, honest operators at the helm. They're, they own a subsidiary group of businesses that operate normally of, of their own volition, don't require a whole lot of effort from management. So if Buffett and or the Milner family were to suddenly vacate the the uh, mortal coil, um, there'd certainly be, be plenty of operational kind of ongoing business. Now, we can argue about the investment merits of both, but in terms of size and scale and to your point of the Apple example, these are just big businesses that you happily have – they're probably the only bottom drawer stocks I genuinely have that I kind of feel like I could come back in 10 years and and not, you know, expect nothing terrible has happened to them. Mm. Um, again, we wouldn't see if that's the right thing to do. But um, at some level, you know, the, the size of company, the type of company absolutely does matter. And these are very defensive, very good sleep at night stocks. I happily own more than my fair share of both of those. Um, certainly, certainly Berkshire, um, because that's just kind of where it is. Another company, my largest Australian holding is corporate travel. We mentioned that earlier in the podcast. Uh, I have been lucky enough to almost 10 bag on corporate travel since I bought it. And that's not to brag, but to say that as a result, it is now a very large proportion of my portfolio because I've never sold any. And so it started as a, a you know a relatively small number of percent and now it's more than half of my Australian portfolio as it turns out. And that's largely just because the shares have just grown so dramatically and I haven't sold any. So at some level, where you start, where you finish are very different questions. I would say for just back to Chris's question, Doc, if you're going to buy 15 to 20 as soon as possible, so maybe say over a couple of years, mm. Um, I would probably start with roughly equal proportions of most. You might buy a little bit more of a, a, a bellwether kind of well-known company, a little bit less of a, a riskier one to your point, as you say. Uh, but broadly speaking, I don't think you need to worry too much as in the initial stages as to trying to over underweight any particular positions, but you will find over time they happen almost because that's the way they happen. Mm. Modly full money. One more before we 
finish and we will go to Nick. Nick uh, asked a question mostly of you, Doc. He says, uh, Nick says, I love the show and the banter. Keep up the great work. He knows how to sweet talk us. Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago, you suggested to look at the, uh, it says VHT shares. I have a particularly B in my body. I don't refer to companies by tickers, mm-hmm. nor do you. So we'll say Volpara shares, the code is VHT, which follow the announcement of below expectation results. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. As from my reading, the results weren't attributable to the value of the product, but more difficulties with the sales team getting set up and Europe difficulties. My question is, do you think it is still a buy? And if so, would it be best to buy in this dip? Okay, so uh, I'll start from, so Volpara is, mm-hmm. is a recommendation in, in, in actually the two services that I, that I run. So um, You must so, like it. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's buy in, in that case. So uh, that's, that's our official recommendation. Now, what happened with Volpara? Again, Volpara is a very early stage company, right? It's an early stage company doing breast cancer mm-hmm. software. It's pretty tiny revenue-wise, right? It's very tiny revenue-wise. Six million, do I remember that, or am I making um, that up? Yeah, so the, their ARR target is somewhere around, you know, so annual recurring revenue nice, target for yes. the um, end of this year, yes. this, you know, financial year for them is um, around 7 million or something. Okay. Right? And you take annualized recurring revenue by saying, what is the current level of customers I've signed up? Yeah. And if they stay with me for a full year, what's that worth? You mean the answer is 7 million. So you haven't necessarily earned 7 million last year or even this year, exactly. but the current customers, by the time they hang around for a year, yeah. will deliver 7 million bucks in revenue. Yeah. So, cool. so, yeah. so that's, that's that. And I mean, you know, the annual recurring revenue is, is growing at a pretty fast clip. So like, you know, let's say that, Project, projecting what 85% growth mm-hmm. year over year. So that's pretty fast, right? So it's small, it's tiny, and it's got a very tiny sales force in the US. It had like, you know, a couple of people or a few people working there doing the sales. So this is really tiny. I mean, in in, in the big scheme of things, this mm. is a company that should actually have been private, right? But it's, it's, it's yeah, available okay. in the public market, right? So it is going to be volatile. It is. It's in no way a slam dunk, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they've got a good technology. They've got. They serve a very useful need. They are by far the leader. They would have like quite set, cool tech, right? Very cool tech. It's you know using artificial intelligence, computer vision technology to actually you know nice. uh, compute, uh, c- come up with an objective measure for breast density, which has direct links to whether or not there's a chance of getting cancer. Right. Um, so so there is use. There's a regulation in the U.S. that should be a tailwind for these guys. Um, but it's, it's it's ample risky, and you know, like the the miss on expectations. I always thought that their guidance was, you know, their guidance that mm. they'd given at the at the end of the previous year was was lofty, right? And you know, a bit it's too optimistic. A bit too optimistic, and I think it's one of those cases that you know, recently public companies, you know, they're all earnest people, but you know, it's very hard to, it's very hard to. Um, to give proper guidance, and, you know, mm, that mm. smaller company, a little bit of a variability <laughs> in terms of sales, can actually have a big impact. You know, yep. maybe you shouldn't be giving guidance, but you know, that's what you, you know. know it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so me up. I, I like I like the company, but yeah. I, I, as I said, it's plenty risky. But it's it's in a niche, and I like niche areas because niche areas mean that you know, typically, one of the things I said that you know, if Google wanted to do this, the Google could do it overnight. Yeah, but this is not worth it for yeah. Google. Yeah, right. Which which is why niches are great. Okay. Yeah. 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 So. I like it. Very good. All right, mate. That wraps up our coverage of earnings and some foolish mailbag. We'll dip back into the mailbag next week, time permitting. We do try and get to as many as we can, but as I said, we want to make sure our listeners don't fall asleep while they're listening to us, and there's plenty of news to get through. We probably will do a mailbag episode in March. I reckon we might try and catch up on the ones mm-hmm. we've missed. Um, fools, that does wrap us up, but before we go, as I say every week, and hopefully you can now recite it for me, don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. If you are looking for one, Pocket Cast is one I use. I have no with them, but it's easy to find iTunes app because it has a native 
um, podcast app. Uh, Android doesn't necessarily, so that's one option for you. And if you do like what we're doing, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes and tell your friends, give us a review, throw us some love, because that helps other people find this wonderful and enjoyable and very good-looking and humorous podcast as well. Uh, I'm sure they could use a little foolish straight talk too. And don't forget, you can subscribe to a little dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to www.fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.